1 John 5, 1. A lot of folks who struggle with salvation, people suggest that they read the, the small epistles of John. And that's very good scripture for that. John chapter 5, verse number 1, 1 John. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That word believeth is not an intellectual belief. That is That has to do with the commitment that's been made to him. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water alone, but by water and blood. That means he came in the flesh. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Don't matter what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. That's what what your Bible says. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. If you receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. And he that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. This is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. I know a lot of folks say there's a whole lot of ways to go to heaven and it's politically correct today to give homage to all faiths. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. And you don't get in through the Muslim way and you don't get in through somebody else's way. You get in through Jesus and that's it. That's the bottom line. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know, K-N-O-W, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. God help me this morning. I want to magnify him and I want to glorify him this morning and I want to have liberty to be able to preach to you three ways that I know that I'm saved. When I get into this scripture, let me say salvation is not based on feelings. Salvation is not based on a formula and salvation is not based on fairy tales. But Bible salvation is based on three essential things this morning. The word of God the work of Christ, and the witness of the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity, Brother Mark. That's three. It's based on the Word of God. That's Jesus Christ. He is the Word. The work of Christ 
and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, that's Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost. These three are one. God wonderfully, gloriously took all of the guesswork out of salvation. He nullified our opinions, our ideas, and all of our preconceived notions and spelled out what he thought. His commandments, his precepts, his statutes, and his holy expectations and gave them to us in plain, simple English that we could understand. Is it not amazing that the great God of glory knew that there would come a day that English would be the trade language of the entire world? Several years ago, I spent some time in the Philippines. They have more than 100 different dialects in the Philippines. They have a national language and they have regional languages. But brother Tim, to be able to have a job in any ordinary store, any kind of commerce in the Philippines, you must have a two-year college degree and you must be fluent in English. Do you reckon that a sovereign God that knew everything, knew that one day that the trade language of the entire world would be our common English I think God probably knew that. Psalm 12, verse number 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The original tongues that held our Bible, our New Testament of our Bible, was the language of Greek. Our church forefathers, the Apostle Paul and Peter and many of the other writers of the New Testament wrote letters to the churches and they wrote those letters in the Greek language. Those Greek letters were compiled and were called the Textus Receptus or simply the Received Text. That was the text that God gave to those holy men of old that they wrote down and pinned down and sent to the churches in the first New Testament church. Now that was the original But this prophecy in Psalm 12 says the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Those original letters have been purified seven times. In 1525 they were purified in the English language in the Tyndale Bible. In 1535 the Cloverdale Bible. In 1537 the Matthews Bible. In 1539 the Great Bible. In 1560 the Geneva Bible. In 1568, the Bishop Bible. You say, why so many English Bibles? Because the English language at this point was still fluid. It was still changing. It wasn't, there wasn't even a common spelling of words. And there was changes taking place in our language, not in God's Word, not in the Bible, but in our language. But at the apex, at the very peak of the beauty and the glory of the English language in 1611, the seventh major translation of the Word of God came to us in an authorized King James Bible. I'm telling you, God had a plan. He knew there's going to be some country folks that needed to know His Word and needed to know what He said. And God gave us this book in words we can understand. 
Now, I know a lot of people today say we need new translations. We need new versions because we need something we can understand. Let me help you all out. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Anybody have trouble with that? I mean, anybody need to get out a dictionary and figure out that means you ought not be lusting after your neighbor's wife? I don't think it's a problem people have understanding this word, Brother Ricky. I think it's what they understand that they don't like that gives them a great big problem. But Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword piercing, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints, the marrow, and it's discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know one reason I know I'm saved? I know I'm saved by the Word of God. Listen to this in Second Peter 1 verse 17. For he received from God, speaking of Christ here, the Father, honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. Peter was there on the Mount of Transfiguration with James and John. When we were with him in the Holy Mount, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecies came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now stop. Peter stood on the Mount of Transfiguration, eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Peter, James, and John stood around, and Almighty God spoke out of heaven in an audible voice, and they heard his voice, and Peter wrote down under the anointing of the Holy Ghost that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Peter said, I've heard something with my ear, but my ear might have messed up. I might not have heard right. But God pinned it down, and it's right. But I'll tell you what, I thank God. The Word of God said in Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness, for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. I'm going to tell you what, the heaven and earth shall pass away, but God said his word ain't going to pass away. And the word of God lets me know I'm born of the spirit of God. 1 John 2, 3, look in your Bibles. 1 John 2, 3. And hereby we do know that we know him. If we keep his commandments He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Over in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you all know the word of God said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I get so aggravated at this crowd of Baptists running around today that can live like a bunch of dogs, live like they've always lived, talk like they've always 
praise talk still put that same old bottle to their lips they used to put to their lips. They can do everything they used to do and the Word of God said they're liars. I'm not being ugly about that. I'm not being mean. I'm just being plain. This is plain, simple Bible English that if you can live like you used to live before you say you got saved, you didn't get saved. You may have had a genuine emotional experience. You may have really tried to get to God, but if there's never been a change, you didn't get saved. Look in 1 John 3, 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. That means to habitually sin. That don't mean you're perfect, but that does mean that you have power and victory over sin in your life. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. This crowd that comes along and says, if you say you got saved when you're 8 or 10 years old, and now you're 30 or 40 or 50 years old, and you're a whoremonger, and you're a dopehead, and you're an alcoholic, and all that stuff, don't let some preacher tell you you're just backslid. That's, right. That's what that says, ain't it? Yes, sir. It says, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. I realize there's a twofold meaning in this scripture. When you get born of the Spirit of God, you receive the indwelling Holy Ghost. And the Spirit of God that lives within me cannot sin. He cannot deny himself. I may deny God, but the Spirit that lives in me will never deny him. And he'll never sin. I understand that. But that scripture said that if you're saved, you cannot commit sin and you already know that word commit means to abide with contentment and you show me folks that are content to abide in their sin I'll show you folks that just simply have never been saved before and I'm not being ugly about that I want people to understand because we've taught a mess in the Baptist church for so many years that you live any way you want to live and as long as you've been to an altar somewhere and prayed some kind of flimsy prayer and called on Jesus been baptized then you're going to heaven. It don't work that way. When you really get saved, God changes something inside of you that makes you live different. You won't be perfect. That don't mean you won't mess up. That don't mean you won't get knocked out of gear and say something you ought not say or think something you ought not think. But I'm telling you what, if you do them things four or five times a day, you ain't right with God. (laughs) Ain't no way. It ain't possible. It's diametrically opposed to this book, Matthew twenty two thirty five. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Boy, that would be a good time for an invitation, wouldn't it? But you know what? One reason I know that I'm saved, born of the Spirit of God, because this book tells me that if you are right with God, you love God with all your heart. God's been on my mind for 20 years, and I can't get God off my mind. 
Why can't I get God off my mind? Same reason when I was a, a sporting little old Miss Lori trying to get her heart, get her to marry me and be my sweetheart. I couldn't do nothing but think about her all the time. I'd go to bed thinking about her. I'd get up thinking about her, wonder where she's at, what she's doing, and what time we wasn't on the phone together. I was wondering about her and Miss Lori, she was on my mind. You know why she was on my mind? I loved her. You know why God's on my mind, Brother Tim? I love him. You understand? what I'm saying? I mean, have you ever had that experience in your life that got God on your mind? Boy, I have. I can tell you. When I got born in the Spirit of God, God did not just become part of my life. God became my life. Because He is life. And apart from Him, I never knew any peace. I never knew any joy or satisfaction. And I did a whole lot of things, Brother Mark. But I never had no life until I had Jesus. And I found out once I got it, I can't do without it. I don't want to be without Him. Matthew 12, verse 34. Jesus said, O generation of vipers, how can you be an evil speak?" Good things, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Let me just, let me just make this so simple. Where's your conversation? I know what you love. I know exactly what you love by what you talk about all the time. I know how folks are. This world is grievous to a child of God. Do you know that? Because our conversation's in heaven, Brother Jesse, and the world don't speak our language. I remember we was leaving the Soviet Union several years ago, and we stopped off in Helsinki, Finland. I was I was studying at the time, studying some subjects, and spent a lot of time in used bookstores. And Sister Lori and I walked the streets of Helsinki and went from used bookstore to bookstore, and and we were just seeing the sights. And Brother Mark, it was so interesting. But here I was in Helsinki, Finland, walking the streets and looking at blonde-haired, blue-eyed people that were just like a lot of folks sitting right here, Brother Tim, and they'd open their mouth and you didn't understand a word they said. That's the way this world is. They don't understand our language. And I ain't speaking their language either, Brother Tim. This world's grievous. But I'm going to tell you what folks want to talk about. Now listen, some of you, it ain't time to pray or crawl under a rug. But I can tell what's on your heart by what comes out your mouth. I know folks that honest for the Lord, I love them and I care about them. But I can't have a conversation with them, Miss Felder, without them wanting to talk about money. How you save a dollar, how you make a dollar, how you hide a dollar from the government, how you going to get a hold of another dollar. And that's all they want to talk about, money, 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 money. That tells me, Brother Mark, that that's where their heart's at, that's where their God's at. Folks are that way about their jobs. They're that way about their children. They're that way about their grandchildren. Let me give you one I find in the Baptist church all the time is people want to talk about their problems. That lets me know that they are their own God because they're always worried about their self. But at the... I'm, I'm still in the Bible. I know it got quiet. But Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Brother Mark, I want to have something. To, I want to have some conversation about the things of God. I think it's such a blessing, boys, when we're working around here and we got things to do and we work together and labor together. But it blesses my heart, Brother Tim, when the, the conversation 
We don't have to talk long, Brother Mark, and the conversation somehow gets around to the things of God, gets around to the church, or gets around to the Word of God, or a preaching message, or a preacher, or something that's going on about God dealing with some sinner. You know, you know why we do that, Brother Tim? That's where our heart's at. I know I'm saved because I love God. That's where my heart's at. First John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. Did you catch that? He was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Listen. He said, why did why Cain slay Abel? Why did he kill him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. You know why there's some folks hate your guts this morning, child of God? Because their works are evil. And your righteousness that God's give you is a condemnation against them and they despise you. Miss Diane, as sweet and humble as you are, why would anybody in the world hate you? But they do. Those folks despise you, Brother Ricky. You never done nothing to hurt nobody that I know anything about. You know why? It's because they're evil. And what they see in you just chides them. I mean, it rubs them raw. And that's what the Word of God said. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. The household of faith. Our brethren. Those that are born of the Spirit of God. Brother Clayton Handy don't go to this church. But folks in this church that are saved love Brother Clayton Handy just like he was your own brother. Now you do, don't you? Is that right or wrong? Some of y'all love Brother Winkler, Brother Daniel, just like he is your own flesh. Why? Because the Word of God said when you're saved, you got to love for the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Whereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? It don't. Church attendance comes natural to a child of God. You know that? When I got saved and I got born again, they didn't nobody have to tell me I needed to be at church. Miss Diane, they didn't nobody have to call me up and let me know they had church on Wednesday night. I knew it. And I knew I was saved and I was part of the church and I needed to be there. Unless I was providentially hindered, I knew when they was having church, I need to be in church. Y'all do believe that, don't you? Tithing comes natural to a child of God. I never had nobody have to to set me down, brother, and explain to me that I needed to give 10% of my income to the church when I got saved. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of folks that I see that I believe are really saved that are cursed with a curse because they've never learned to give 10% of their income to the house of God. They say, preacher, I couldn't afford to do that. I can't afford not to do that. I ain't living under the curse of God, Brother Tim, if I can help it. And God made a promise in that word in the book of Malachi that if you robbed God, he said, I'll curse you. And I know there's been a whole lot of times that when I go to balancing things out that it don't work out for me to give what I need to give to the church. But you know what, Brother Mark? I ain't never had no problem doing that. But you know, even a lost man can learn how to tithe. A lost man can learn how to show up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. 
But the real love of God, the love of God that covers a multitude of sins, is a gift from God. And it is not a learned behavior, Brother Mark. You can learn how to do a whole lot of things, but you really honestly can't learn how to love somebody with a godly, Christ-like love. There's a lot of lost folks that people call good-hearted. They say, boy, so-and-so's got such a good heart. I just wish they'd get saved. They could do so much for God. They're so good-hearted. Lie. That is a lie. That is not right. They are not good-hearted, according to this word. The word of God said there's none good. There's none righteous, no, not one. This book says the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? No, they ain't good-hearted. You say, but I know what you mean when you say that. You mean they're free to give and they'd do anything for anybody and they'd give you the shirt off their back. I know what you're saying and I know what you mean. There are a lot of lost men that are called good-hearted men. But what's the motive in their heart? I know a lot of people that give life and limb for the gospel of Christ, but it's just so they could be recognized. They just want everybody to know they've done something. They want everybody to know they've given. Now, what's the motive of the heart? I know a lot of people that give and do for self-satisfaction just because it makes them feel better to give and do. As a matter of fact, I know some folks that I know and love and have known and have loved that wouldn't live right. Brother Tim wouldn't treat people right, wouldn't do right, and they'd get to feeling guilty about it, and they'd go out and buy them some big extravagant gift to give to them to make up for what they hadn't done in the past. What was the motive behind that? I'll give you something else. Some folks are kind and giving because they really deep down in their heart want to be accepted. And won't be respected by others. They won't be loved by others. But they're not given out of the purity of their heart. They're given because they've got a motive. That they really want somebody to love them back. They really want somebody to respect them and accept them. Did you know there's a whole world full of people that want to be accepted? There's a whole world full of people, Brother Tim, that want to be loved. And there's a whole lot of people that will go to great lengths to do a whole lot of things to be a friend and help you because they want to be loved. But listen to what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... What's that word charity mean? It means the agape love of God. Charity means that you're giving what you give without any expectation whatsoever of getting anything back for what you've done. There's no motive. There's no selfishness. You just give because there's pleasure and joy in giving and you just want to give. And he said... I'm become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith and could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You know what Paul said? Paul said a lost man could do all that stuff. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Verse number 8 says, Charity never faileth. 
Let me ask you why you give and why you do. Why do you give and why do you do? I'll tell you what, when you're saved, born of the Spirit of God, you don't give and you don't do anymore so you'll be accepted. I see a lot of people come in the Baptist church and I recognize this, Brother Jesse, I, I got radar for this, I can hone in on this. A lot of people come into the Baptist church, they give, they do, they're sweet, they're kind, they're humble, they're loving, they do all these things, Brother Mark, and they're just trying to find a place to fit in. They're just trying to be accepted. But I'm going to tell you what the agape love of Christ will make you do. The agape love of Christ will make you give and do and love and be just because it's Christ-like. And there's something in your heart that whether you get anything out of it or not, Brother Tim, you just want to love others. You just want to do good. I told you I know I'm saved by the Word of God. I know what by the Word of God what God did in my heart. But I know by the work of Christ, salvation is 100% pure grace. And salvation is 100% pure mercy. I was told a story the other day of Napoleon and his cruelty. And a man was being tried for treason. And he was about to be put to death. And his wife came to Napoleon and said, mercy, my Lord. Mercy, my Lord. Would you despair him and have mercy, my Lord? Napoleon looked at that weeping wife just about to be a widow and said, he don't deserve mercy. And she looked back at him and humbly said, but my Lord, if it deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. The work of Christ on the cross of Calvary brought mercy and brought grace. And it's 100% the work of God. Salvation is not about what I've done. It's not about what I did to get it or what I could do to keep it. If you've got it, it ain't what you do to keep it, all right? It's still 100% grace. It's still 100% mercy. As a matter of fact, the work of Christ brought condemnation in my heart. When I see the cross of Calvary and I see what the darling son of God suffered on the cross of Calvary over and over again it reminds me brother Jesse it was for my sins and my transgressions Jesus was nailed to that cross and it was the work of Christ that lets me know that I'm saved brother Tim because it was the work of Christ that brought me under condemnation it was the work of Christ that brought me under conviction through the living word of God, through the living spirit of God, through the preached word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself by his living spirit came to me and convicted me and God showed me I was guilty and it was me that nailed him to the cross. I know I'm saved by the work of Christ because he brought condemnation, he brought conviction. But he brought something else before it was over with. He brought confidence. Today I stand before you and tell you I have confidence that I know, that I know, that I know what it is to truly be forgiven. I have experimental, experiential knowledge of what it is to have the burden of sin lifted off my back. John Bunyan wrote the greatest work that's ever been written, second to the authorized King James Bible in the Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read that child of God, I would encourage you after you've made sure you've read your Bible through 
that you read the Pilgrim's Progress. And when you see that, you see the great analogies that he brings. And he shows a picture of a man that's trying to cross the, the sloth of despond. And he's trying to get to the other side and he's, and he's trying to get some help, Brother Mark. And he's so weighted down. And finally, at some point, he sees himself at a cross. And he kneels down at that cross. Miss Heather, according to his book, when he knelt down at the cross, there was this great burden cumbersome on his back that he couldn't hardly move for that weight on his back. And when he knelt at that cross, miraculously, the burden that was on his back fell off. And he felt free and he felt alive. I'm going to tell you what, I don't know much, but I know what it was to be under the burden sin. I know what it was to be under the condemnation of the law of God. I know what it was to walk around in fear trying to get some help and not knowing what I was going to do or how I was going to do it. And I'm very consciously aware that one night about three o'clock in the morning sitting on a raggedy couch I cried out to God with a childlike faith that God lifted the burden of sin off me. I know what it is to be forgiven. Therefore I have confidence First John, look in chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything. Now look at these next four words. According to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. I know I'm saved because of the work of Christ. Because I know he gave me confidence to come to him and he hears my prayers, Mindy. He hears my prayers all the time, brother. All the time. If I go back and look, the devil will give you amnesia if you're really saved. But you look back at the things that God's done for me and the things that God's done for some of you. And I've got confidence that I know that I'm saved because I know I've got a relationship with him because he hears my prayers. The things God's done for me, Brother James, I couldn't even begin to tell you just the simple little old prayers that God's answered for me. Brother Tim, there's been times when we've been working. Brother Jesse, times when we're getting ready to do things that we ask God that we stop. When we're getting ready to pour this very concrete you're sitting on this morning, I asked Brother Jesse, I said, before we get to pouring this concrete, why don't we just ask God to help us and take care of us so we don't just mess this thing up and tear up or somebody get hurt or something we're doing. And Brother Jesse, God heard our prayers. He's blessed our days. Things that we looked at, Brother Tim, we thought, how in the name of heaven am I going to get that done? And we just stopped and took a minute and said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. You're going to have to help us. And at the end of the day, it got done because God heard your prayer. I got confidence, Brother Mark. I know God hears my prayers. And I'm finished today. I'll give you one last thing. I know I'm saved by the Word of God. I know I'm saved by the work of Christ. And I know I'm saved by the witness of the Holy Spirit. Look in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 20. Chapter 2, verse 20 says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One. What in the world's that? That's an anointing. A smearing of the Holy Ghost of God that lives in the hearts of believers. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I've not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. 
Listen to verse number 24. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. That if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth where? In you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. God said the Holy Ghost will lead you into all truth. Listen to John fourteen sixteen. Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. And he may abide with you, how long? Till you sin and mess up? Forever. Uh Uh-oh, that's what the Bible says. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a gift, and he's going to stay with you forever. Now, Jesus ain't going back on his word. Verse 17, even the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Ghost, Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive... Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He said he'd come and did. And he lives in my heart. He speaks to me, Brother Mark. He lets me know when I'm right. He lets me know when I'm wrong. He gives me comfort. He gives me joy. There's something about the Holy Ghost of God and the holy things of God. I'll ask you a question or two this morning and I'll quit. Does the manifest presence of the Holy Ghost of God bring you strength? Or does it bring you a struggle? What strength is me, brother? I can't get enough of it. Boy, there's something about it. I've seen some of y'all get full of God and the Holy Ghost of God. And stand up. Some of you boys stand up to pray. Some of you girls stand up to testify. And tears start streaming down your face. And the Holy Ghost of God flood the building. And there's something inside of me said, praise God. Like sicking on a coon dog on a coon. Said, God, get them, get them. Praise God. You know why? That does something for me, Brother James. It strengthens me. I got to have it. You got to have it. That's why we got to come to church on a regular basis. That's why God said y'all to be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever they have a church, y'all to be at church. Why, Brother Mark? Because getting around the manifest presence of God strengthens a child of God. But if you ain't saved, oh my, brings a struggle, Brother Ricky. A wrestling. I'm, I, ain't, I ain't talking about just what some preacher stands up and says. I'm talking about when God the Holy Ghost shows up, it brings a struggle. Does the manifest presence of God bring food to your soul? Or does it bring a fight? That you've got to be fighting with God and arguing with God. Does it bring food or does it bring a fight? Does the preaching of the Word of God bring a blessing to you or a blistering? Not kindly quiet. I know it's right, Brother Tim. Does the Holy Ghost of God bring peace to you or does it bring an inner turmoil? Now, see, that's why a whole lot of folks can go to church. 
Man, they're, they're tickled to death being involved in church, in religion, as long as there ain't no Holy Ghost around. Because that don't bring no turmoil, Brother Mark. That don't bring no turmoil, Miss Allie. But I'll tell you what brings turmoil is when a man or a woman ain't right with God. And they get around the holy things of God and the Holy Ghost shows up. And it brings a struggle on the inside. And there's a wrestling, there's a fighting on the inside. That's exactly why most folks, and not all, not everybody, but most folks that are lost don't want nothing to do with the Holy Ghost of God, Brother Mark, because it brings such a struggle on the inside. I mean, I watch folks, I could name two individuals that came into our little assembly in the last few months. Two of them I could name right now, and you'd, every one of you know who I was talking about, that sat in this place and came several services until the Holy Ghost of God rung their bell, Brother Mark. And when the Holy Ghost of God made himself manifest to them, they run out here like a scared rabbit. And they ain't been back. And they ain't coming back. Because the Word of God and the Holy Ghost of God, Brother Tim, brings turmoil in their heart. They can't stand it. They don't want to be around it. There's a lot of folks can take it in small doses, Miss Diane. They're in a little and out a little. They're on a little and off a little. They're hot a little and cold a little. They can get around it, and then the heat gets on, and then they got back off. Yes, I'm going to tell you why they don't want to be around it, Brother Tim. It's because it brings that strife in their heart, and they can't stand it. But I can stand today and tell you I know that 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 I know I'm born of the Spirit of God by the Spirit that lives in me that lets me know, Brother James, when the Holy Ghost is around, I'm in good company. I'm in the company of my Father. I'm in the company of my love for the Lord Jesus. I ain't got to be nervous about getting around the Holy Ghost of God. God gets off on one of you. You get to testify in the Holy Ghost. I ain't got to worry. Are you going to say something that's going to tire everything up and mess everybody up? Praise God when the Holy Ghost is it don't bother me. That's some of you, it don't bother you a bit. That's one way you know you've been born of the Spirit of God. I know this morning, not by my feelings and, and, and you know, I mean, you get to search in your heart and your flesh, you can confuse yourself. I ain't talking about that. I'm not talking about a formula. I'm not talking about some fairy tale. I'm talking about just the simple Word of God. The simple work of Christ and the simple witness of the Holy Ghost. Is there something on the inside of you that bears witness with the truth that says, I got truth? And I may not understand it all, and I may not can explain it all, and I may not can live it all, but I know something's different. I know God's given me something on the inside, and I ain't ashamed of it, and I could give Him glory this morning because I know. Hey, listen, I love y'all. I'm going to give you a chance to do something this morning. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be honest. There's some of you just as sweet and tender and loving and humble, and I love you with all my heart, and I die for you. But you know deep down in your heart you ain't never really been born again. You've had a religious experience, and you've been a pretty good person as far as everybody knows. But you know deep down in your heart you ain't never really had that new birth experience. And you're bothered on the inside. There's something that bothers you because you know. That you know that you know there's something ain't right.